The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is no substitute for professional care by your doctor or your qualified healthcare professional. Never disregard or delay professional medical advice because of something you've heard on this podcast or in any linked material. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Dr. Shirley neither endorses nor opposes any particular opinion discussed on this podcast. The views expressed on this podcast have no relation to those of any academic, hospital, practice, institution, or other entity with which Dr. Shirley may be affiliated. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast on fashion, the art of living, and all things beauty. This podcast is curated by Dr. Shirley Madea, MD, as the definitive source of holistic wellness through beauty. The Forever Fab podcast values truth and authenticity. We encourage our guests to show up exactly as they are, as the best version of themselves. Please note, this podcast episode contains adult language. Thank you and enjoy. Welcome to Forever Fab, the podcast dedicated to fashion, the art of living well, and all things beauty. I'm your host, Dr. Shirley Madeira the founder of Holistic Plastic Surgery, and your purveyor of this definitive source of living a beautiful life. In this podcast, we like to have intelligent and fun discussions around some of the things that we love and that move us with joy, namely fashion, art, wellness, and the many faces of beauty. We keep it refreshing and real, educational but entertaining, scientific, and fantastic. This week's episode is dedicated to standing tall. This is my interview with Dr. Michael Haas, and the topic is, you should have your own back, spinal health, and how to stand tall in life. Welcome to my interview with Dr. Michael Haas. A former major, oh, you're so welcome, doctor. A former major in the U.S. Air Force, how impressive is that? Dr. Haas now plays a major role in the field of spinal surgery. He directs the Haas Spine Institute in Virginia and currently holds a clinical appointment at the Uniform Services University of the Health Sciences in Bethesda, Maryland. I'm sure you've seen some interesting people there, doctor. (laughs) But of course, we can't say. Dr. Haas is here with us today via StreamYard to tell us how to care for our spine, manage any pain we have there, and stand tall in our health and wellness journey. He'll also tell us about his fascinating new book, The Back Pain Solution, a patient's guide to laser spine surgery, minimally invasive procedures, and believe it or not, avoiding surgery altogether. Welcome, Dr. Haas. Thank you for your time and thank you for becoming a member of this forever fab community. Thank you very much. I'm a, proud to be a member of your tribe. <laughs> thank you. So shall we get at it? Let's. Let's get at it. What's your story, Dr. Haas? You and I have known each other for many years, and uh, I am so honored to have you as an esteemed friend. But tell us where you grew up and how you decided to go into medicine. Well, I grew up in medicine, or grew up in a small town in Minnesota. My dad is a teacher. He was a coach. He was actually one of my teachers, one of my coaches for the sports that we would do in a town where I had 43 people in my college or high school class. 
Wow. Our entire high school had something like 200 and so people throughout. And we had one of the larger classes for a while. So I had an opportunity to do a little bit of everything. And I liked doing everything. The sports, the music, the plays, as well as the school. And so all of that, <laughs> and, and all that was, was great. Um, and as I was growing up, I was wondering, what, what should I do? And I realized that school is pretty easy. And I thought, what do smart people do? And I didn't really think of myself as smart because I saw these people on High School Bowl. You remember that TV show? It was like no. Jeopardy, <laughs> Jeopardy for high school kids. And they no, knew I stuff. Never. I was just afraid to go to college because I thought I was going to be full of all those people that knew oh. everything, you know. But I figured I'm going to either be a teacher or maybe the other person in my small town that seemed to like what they were doing was a doctor. So I thought, okay, between the two, they're both good choices. They both help people. But I decided, let's go to med school. And that was confirmed by my upcoming Shakespeare professor when I was in college, who said, don't be a fool. Go to medical school. After that, you can do anything you want. <laughs> that's very Shakespearean. <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> but, you know, that's very interesting because, you know, I went through medical training, think, you know, having these sort of ideas and gross generalizations about how, you know, only athletic people or very athletic people go into, you know, orthopedics. So there seems to be a connection with you, too, with athletics and sports and orthopedics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is quite a bit. There's a lot of people that are into sports. And I remember back in medical school doing a rotation where I was in the emergency room around the time of ho the holidays. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of people that were brought in, the families brought in their elderly family members, which were probably very, very, very old and fragile. Mm -hmm. But it was apparent to me that they hadn't connected and their family was doing their obligatory vis visit during Thanksgiving and they just didn't look as good as last year. Wow. And I thought, that was really sad. It was sad. And, 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 these, and, I, and I found myself not wanting to take care and maintaining someone in their last non-functional years, basically. I want to take care of people to be optimizing their health and to be happy and try to get them back and working. So whenever I saw a fracture, an ankle fracture, a broken bone, we can fix that. And yeah. I even remember during the biochemistry classes when they would tell us something about nutrition and how the recommended daily allowance for something like vitamin C or protein or whatever it was, was what we should be recommending to our patients. And we all know that the recommended daily allowance is the amount recommended by a committee, which is one red flag, to right. try to avoid <laughs> disease. No one were they talking about the other side of the bell curve that said, what do we do to optimize health? I found right. myself biasing toward the, how do we optimize our life? How do we optimize our health? How do we sleep better, exercise more, perform better, stay as healthy as we can be? That's my bias. And that action bias led me to orthopedic surgery. Well, it's a great bias to have. And I can't wait to dig into that a little bit further uh, later in the podcast. So I'm excited about that, especially since you mentioned, you know, optimization and RDA will get to it. But of all the parts of the body, why the spine and why is spinal health so important to you? How did that become your focus? Well, I found myself when I was doing regular orthopedic surgery that you know, replacing knees and replacing hips after a while became quite routine. But also at the time when I was in, and, and people were very happy with that, but yes. at, also at that time, um, it, it dating myself, aging myself a little bit, dating myself, the, um, the spine surgery was sort of a black box of the unknown. Mm 
But I didn't know it at the time, right as I was entering the idea of taking care of people with a problem that had this mystery to it, a whole revelation and a whole new generation or paradigm change for treatment of pain and back pain and surgery. We we changed from various implants, which we now know of, you know, the big screws and rods and things. Before that, they didn't have such a thing. If you had surgery, you're often laid up in a cast and you're put in traction and put in casts and you're laid around all the time. It was just a disaster in the recovery period sometimes. But as the, the, the time passed, the generations of adding more of the techniques we used for long bone fractures, you know, plates and screws, and also then gradually smaller and smaller and smaller incisions. Yes. And also the technology of using x-rays and MRIs and other imaging or using injections to try to get a more precise diagnosis will let us not having to do a huge incision anymore. We can often do a smaller incision. We can focus where we need to go. So instead of having a surgery where someone would need a transfusion of three or four liters of blood, often yeah. they don't lose enough blood that we even can use our cell saver anymore. And they can get up right. the next day and they're going home. So a more precise diagnosis led toward better outcomes. And even now, you think everybody would be doing this and it's still progressing. Um, so not everybody that does back and spine care and spine surgery does it the same ways. So many, many people are doing the, what we knew 20 years ago, and it's still state-of-the-art, but they're not doing what's available now. So is this thirst that you have for the new and how to do things better and to keep improving, was this one of the reasons that led you to writing a book? Why did you write your book? It, I actually was asked many times by patients to write a book. In fact, they asked wow. me to write a couple different books. They said, what you're doing you need to share. And even now, this morning, I had someone that I, that I met about a month and a half ago that has had a couple surgeries elsewhere and did better for a while, but started having more problems. And as we're doing a few things to try to narrow down where the pain's coming from, one of them said, hey, I just got your book and I understand where you're coming from now. So they at least have an idea and it's not as big of a black box that we know a lot of the techniques and we can figure out where we're going. So it, it helps share the ideas and maybe in time, this will help share gentle concepts, not only to patients so that they can be actively engaged in what they're doing, but maybe some other folks like the family doctors won't be so afraid of spine surgeons anymore. And the therapist um, that and the same thing, the therapist, Often, I, I just had a story like three weeks ago. I had a patient that was doing some physical therapy. And this was at a, at a city about maybe 60 miles away. And they were the therapist asked who did the surgery. And they told him it was me. And they said, oh, I'm, I, I know him very well. He goes, I see their people. I see how they recover faster. And I wow. know if I ever have a problem, I'm going down there. So That's awesome. Having a book like this helps with that. And today I was really surprised. This book just came out. And I, I don't really have any big marketing going on, but I got an email from Japan today. Oh, someone wow. Who, someone who just read the book and had some questions sent me an email. So it's very interesting. There's an impact out there that can happen by writing a book. Well, not only by writing a book, Dr. Haas, I must say that when the intention is to honor others, to help others to live a more fabulous or beautiful life, as I like to say, but when the intention is to be of service, 
right? And to offer yourself with your skills of which you have many and your talents, um, I, I think it, it can't help but to reverberate. It can't help but to cause, you know, positive perturbations universally. So I'm, I'm very happy for you. And thank you for sending me a copy of your book because I did read it. And so I have a question from your book. In your book, you cite that the World Health Organization reported that 80% or more of all adults will experience back pain at some point in their lives. Now, what are some of the ways that those of us who don't quite have back pain yet, um, how can we protect our spines and how could we care for our backs in general? Well, the first thing we need to start out with is good nutrition. Yeah. By having good nutrition, we can give ourselves the, 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 the building blocks and the energy that we need to maintain our health. We need protein. We need the, the right types of fats. We need to, to know how to control how many calories we have so we don't have excess calories. And when we have the, the nutrition and the minerals that we all need, then we get out and move. We go lift things. We go carry things. If we're sitting in a chair, I advise my patients how to sit like my piano instructor once taught me how to sit, which is very similar, sitting, sitting on the bench, is very similar to balancing on one of those beach balls that you see in physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Sitting with a balance with your core, just balancing as opposed to leaning back and slouching. Mm -hmm. And I also recommend, imagine if you have a string attached to your sternum and a helium balloon up rather than sitting slouched just think of that yeah. string pulling you up that automatically just... puts your head where you want to be it automatically balances so that this muscle up front doesn't constrict too much and this one doesn't get too tight that we have to balance those out again so doing that begins and then we need to do some major just just major work which just lift things and move your body around like know how to lift something heavy and lift your core. And, and, and a thing that I have become even more intent on over the last four or five months is go walk backwards. Huh. Walking backwards does some incredible things for balance, but also puts more strength across your, your quadriceps and protects your knees. Have you noticed that in China, they have many, many fewer total knee replacements than you do in the United States. And they have a tradition of going out and walking backwards. It's for I some very no simple idea. things. There's some simple things like that we can do. But I'm a big proponent of lifting weights and, and then sprinting. Go to, I go to the soccer field and go for a quick run. It's great. <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> Listen, I've known you for many years and I've always thought you were bionic, but this podcast is just proving <laughs> it to me. You are bionic. Well, I'm glad you also said that um, one of the first things that we may all do is nutrition and eating well. I always say, and I am hoping and praying that somebody quotes me or tweets me or something on this very comment because it is one of my mantras that nutrition is the first rule of beauty, but nutrition is the first rule of wellness. So to your point for spinal wellness, you have to start by eating well to give your body the building blocks that it needs to get the protein, to be able to develop the strength, to lift properly, sit properly, etc. So thank you for that. And now given new technologies and health advancements and, and various innovations in medicine, you also state in your book that you can fix many of the back issues that your patients complain about through a holistic approach using nutrition, as we mentioned, weight management, physical therapy, 
and other lifestyle changes. Now, does this holistic approach, which of course I picked up on, thank you. Now, does that lead to um, success in the treatment of many of the cases that you see incorporating holism into your practice and your cases? Has that significantly been impactful? Uh, yes, it has. Let me, let me, they've got a couple stories I could tell you. Let me just tell you one. Okay. Um, I had a young lady who quite a few years ago saw me. I saw her once and I didn't see her, I hadn't seen her again until a year later. Frankly, I don't really even remember her. That's what I told, what I told her. She, she came in about a year later with her mom, and she brought her up from Florida. And I asked her, why didn't you bring her mom all the way from Florida? And she said, because you're the best doctor ever. <laughs> and, I, and I frankly looked at her, I almost, I, I'm sure I said something almost exactly what I'm going to say right now. Um, how do you know this? I don't know if I'm the best doctor ever, but why do you think this? And she said she was a patient of mine. I, said, I don't even remember you, I told her. Yeah. And then we, we could look back. And she said, well, let me tell you a story. She's, she goes, a, a year ago, I came in with back pain that's been gone going for quite some time. I spent a little time with her, evaluated her, and said, you know, the main thing we need to do is get you in a certain exercise program, and we need you to lose some weight and build your muscles. So I gave her a quick story of how to lose weight and basically told her in a simple fashion to get rid of the processed foods and get rid of grains and get rid of, um, get rid of sugars and gave her a little story about that. And then she left and she said, for the first two weeks afterwards, I thought you were the wackiest doctor I've ever heard. In my life. She used the word <laughs> I've heard wacky. That too. <laughs> she said, wacky, wacky. And I said, okay. And then what happened? She said, it doesn't hurt to try. So she did. She lost weight. She built her strength with the exercise program. Her pain went away and she brought her mom back. So getting back to you, holistic includes taking care of someone and talking to them when they're ready. If she wasn't yeah. ready to hear what she needed to do to take care of herself and indirectly taking responsibility for herself, even though, even if she had a disc herniation, she couldn't fix and she needed surgery. She needs to take yeah. responsibility. She's yep. by having responsibility for what you do and you own it. Yeah. Then you can understand what the outcomes are and get the choices and then move from there. I think I, that's pretty holistic. That is very holistic. And thank you for adding another facet of um, at least my definition of holistic um, to that definition. I appreciate it because I have certainly heard, oh my gosh, you know, I went to her for, you know, a, a tummy tuck consultation and she talked to me about diet and exercise and spirituality and, and natural, you know, medicine. She is a whack job. So I <laughs> commiserate with you. I totally wow. get it. But yes, you're right. People have to be ready in their own time to hear, you know, about the holistic approach. And then maybe you'll have a success story. Now, in cases where that was a success case to the point where that young lady brought her mom in to see you. But in cases of back pain that um, that are recalcitrant or resistant to non-invasive methods of treatment or to complementary therapies, what can be done for, for relief for that? Now, clearly it depends on the cause, but in general, how would you begin to refer a patient? Well, the, the, the key is what you said. It depends on the cause. And we have to realize we cannot see pain on x-rays. We cannot see pain on MRIs. We can get clues, but we don't know that for sure. Sometimes we can see that nerves are being pinched. And if we know that those nerves that are being pinched go along with where they're saying their pain is coming, for example, down their legs, like when grandma calls it sciatica, mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, and if they've got a nerve pinched, or if you hear a story about someone who can't walk very far without walking behind a grocery cart and they feel better after they sit down, we pretty much know that the nerves are being pinched in their back 90% of the time, as long as they don't have a vascular problem. And then we confirm that with our studies. So once we have the confirmation, then we can take a look at this and say, hmm, let's see if we can get, get better by trying to calm the nerves down. So often we'll give them some medicine orally to see if we can calm the inflammation down. Um, and we can do the, we can also do that by, you know, changing, maybe giving some omega-3 fatty acids or, you know, some fish oil capsules and things like that. Sometimes that helps. Sometimes we need to do injections. Yeah. Sometimes the injections can help calm things down, either being steroids or maybe they need to get something to regrow. So we give them some, like an injection of some concentrated platelets that they actually mm -hmm. make themselves. So if we can concentrate their platelets and do something called platelet-rich plasma, then those are the signaling molecules that we can concentrate and get back in the body and maybe they'll have a little more signal to send, let's heal this area up. Yes. Otherwise, if they truly have a crooked back or their back is broken or it's sliding and there's things being pinched, then we need to go take the pressure off the nerves. It's sort of like yeah. taking the rock out of the shoe. If you've got a rock in your shoe, eventually, you know, getting off, if you're not walking and the rock's in your shoe, your foot's not going to hurt. But every time you walk, the rock hurts. You got to take the rock out. That's surgery. Right. Yeah. If you wait too long, the problem occurs, you know, because some people say, I, that's got to be my last resort. But if you had a rock in your shoe for the last two years, you're going to have an ulcer there. I can go take the, the rock out your, and your foot's still going to hurt. But that's because you walked on it too long. And now the, now the foot's hurting. Now the nerve's just damaged. And right. it may take a long time to get better. But yeah. the key from what you described earlier is it depends what it is. And we work hard to try to figure out a good diagnosis. And then even when lots of things look like they're bad on the spine or lots of arthritis in different places, Sometimes it's worth just doing a small surgery first because you can recover from that faster. And right. if you need to do some fine tuning later, come back again. But yeah. recovery from a couple smaller surgeries as opposed to a real big surgery is so much easier. That's why timing is important. Everything in divine precision, right? Yes. Everything in divine precision. You describe a, a surprising realization that you had, and you touched upon it earlier, about um, nutrition and the RDA, meaning the recommended daily allowance. And it was uh, the realization you came to uh, had something to do with avoiding disease versus optimizing health. Now, if you were to, let's say, you know, the current administration were to call you and say, Dr. Haas, um, you are world-renowned. You're an amazing surgeon. You're a left brain, right brain. You do all these things creative. You're bionic. We would love for you, doctor, to design new guidelines for the RDA. Dr. Haas, how would you change the RDA? And what new guidelines would you include? I think I would turn the food pyramid upside down. Ha! Huh. <laughs> on its head. Completely on its head. On its apex. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> the recommended daily allowance, like I read just a couple of days ago that imagine we know that the recommended daily allowance for vitamin C, I think is around 80 milligrams a day, which is enough to help avoid rickets. However, <laughs> most of us know that, and we know people that will take 250 milligrams, 500 milligrams, even 10,000 milligrams a day to try to decrease colds or increase our immune system or give more substrate to other collagen to help for growth. So that's an example why the recommended daily allowance doesn't really matter. doesn't really make sense. And you also have to realize it's designed to help 80% of the people 
that are already healthy avoid disease. And you may be aware that about 88% of all people in America, based on some parameters, are metabolically beginning to be sick already, Mm. based on either blood sugar, um, cholesterol levels, waist circumference, uh, pre-diabetes, and a bunch of other things like that. Only 12% of us fit all those parameters that are really good. So if the RDA is trying to keep us already healthy, there's only 12% it applies to. So what would I do? The first step I would do, again, is turn turn the food period over its head, upside down, eat more what's on top, less of what's on the bottom, and uh, from there, encourage eating more food that's less processed, Yeah, that's closer to the farm, that's closer to the 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 manufacturer as you would say as opposed to um you know, processed sugar cubes for breakfast in the morning that are various flavors and stuff like this yeah so that would be the main thing i would do yeah that's fascinating that may be another book there doctor <laughs> yeah it's on its way yeah, i know it and i know you've been doing a lot yeah. of research for a long time you uh have been doing continue to do uh research on performance and longevity and that led you that research i believe led you to incorporate some of those uh technologies and innovations into your practice what would you say um to your your mind or what have you recently discovered that you think will just blow our minds in terms of longevity and performance and how to optimize both of those. Longevity and performance. Mm. Let's do this. Sort of, I'm going I'm to take a little pivot on that one. But okay. we know that both men and women, particularly women, mm-hmm. have problems with osteoporosis as they age. Yes. Particularly postmenopausal. It's pretty much common knowledge. Doesn't mean it's correct knowledge, but it's commonly common knowledge suggesting that we need to give everybody calcium and vitamin D and that will increase their bone density. We know that doesn't work. Nice. Vitamin, D, <laughs> vitamin D is very important. About a third of us have not enough. We're not even in, in the normal range. In which, the zone. Yeah. The, the normal range is between 30 and 100. Ideally, we should be above 60 on the, whatever the lab measurements are. Half of the pa- I tested over 200 patients in my clinic over the course of a couple of years. Half of them didn't even reach 30. Yeah. Half the half of the one that were left were left were less than 60. So suboptimal. So we need the vitamin D. That's very, very important. We need that from our sunlight, from our diet, from our nutrition. And we know that um th- that is something that we really, really need to work on. But most of it is most of it is plenty of calcium. And you asked what recently I learned. I'd say yes. recently, probably in the last six months, I became aware that. Going back to fundamentals, going back to the biology, going back to nature, what is our bone? What are our bones made up of? Our bones are made up of collagen, and they're surrounded by a mineral matrix. And since we know that, particularly women, three times more women die from osteoporosis-related disease than breast cancer. Really? Absolutely. More people die from that. They bore from fractures, they, from the kyphosis. You see the little Dorringer's hump that people, women get, which put more compression on their, their lungs, their less chest, room for their yeah. heart, their chest, the whole bit. More people die from osteoporosis and breast cancer. 
but it's, it's an endemic. What do we do about that for women? Number one, bioidentical hormones makes a big difference. In fact, the Women's Health Initiative initially made the mistake, which was understood, that they thought all hormones were the same. They thought that Premarin, which is not bioidentical compared to no, estradiol, which is right. that premenopausally, it works fine for women for many things. But postmenopausally, it doesn't protect as well, so they actually had an increased risk of breast cancer. Ah. But once you actually use the, the actual estradiol, which is bioidentical, along with progesterone, which is bioidentical, the breast cancer rate is almost the same. doesn't really change much. But the incidence of GI cancer, kidney cancer, thyroid, all these other Alzheimer's type of things drops by dramatically, 50%, at least in GI cancer, lower when you're on this. But the thing that I, and I learned that years ago when I was learning about optimization for, you know, age management and hormones and things like that. Yes. But what I learned recently is getting back to what bones are made out of and how important it is for osteoporosis. Bones are made out of collagen, 60% yeah. collagen approximately. Where do we get our collagen? It's made up of amino acids. Where do we get yeah. our amino acids? We get it from proteins. We don't eat enough protein. There's actually been studies that shown even in postmenopausal women, increasing the proteins along with adequate minerals can actually reverse osteoporosis in postmenopausal women. We don't get enough protein in our diet. That is dramatically, and I think that addressed some that that, that should be like put on the billboards in yeah. New York City. And we need to eat <laughs> more protein, along with good salts and minerals to help protect for all those reasons. That that's a great start. That's fantastic. Yeah, who would have thought more protein, you know, would solve so many uh, medical issues, or at least would help uh, many patients on their way to uh, better health and wellness. Fascinating. Yeah, people, people are afraid. We always thought that protein, increased protein caused kidney disease. That's right. That's what we learned in medical school. Yeah. Yeah. And we thought that the protein has become, makes the body more acidic so that our bones are going to be leached away in order to Riddle. provide yep. carbonate. Yep. Yep. That doesn't happen. That's all been disproven now. It's wow. gone. Great. Good to know. Good to know. Stacking up on the protein. <laughs> Do that. You've just listened to part one of Forever Fab podcast. Please stay tuned for part two coming up next. <laughs>